Matt for leading us and ladies for singing. Sorry, Bob, thank you for sharing your testimony. I can't ice skate either, so don't you worry about it. You know that we spent a number of years in Canada when I was a kid, but by the time we got there, everyone was already... Skating's a really big thing in Canada. And, and um, because we could not skate, they were like, life is over for you. It's all right, honey. My goodness. We are grateful that God uses every single one of us for his glory. And we get a glimpse of an individual today as we introduce our series to this man who writes the book of First Peter that you and I can connect with and learn from and learn more about our Heavenly Father. Let's go to the Lord in prayer and ask for his guidance as we learn together. Let's pray. Father, I am so grateful that you are completely holy. There is nothing that is um, even a blemish surrounding you, surrounding your name, surrounding your word. We thank you, Lord, that you have allowed us to come in your grace and mercy to study from your word this morning. Lord, open our eyes to hear. May you use us as we seek to continue to, to, to push the boundaries further and further for the gospel of Jesus Christ in our own community. Father, uh, guide our hearts now. Uh, encourage us. Challenge us. God, by your spirit, change us. May we leave this room different than the way that we came. We ask this in the strong name of our Savior, the Lord Jesus Christ. Amen and amen. Um, This series is called Stand, a series in the book of 1 Peter. Um, I've chosen that because I believe more than any other time in history, Christians need to first of all trust and Christians need to stand. Now let me help you with the definition and understanding of this word that we'll be using Repeatedly, the word stand is defined as to take or to be placed in or maintain in upright position, to remain valid, intact, or unchanged, to remain stationary, to take up or to maintain an attitude or a conviction, to resist, to withstand, to endure, and to bear. Followers of Christ need to be following Christ. Christians today need to stand up wherever you are in your life, wherever God has called you. God has called you to stand in, to be strong, to be secure, to be bold, to be brave, and to be brash. The Scottish clergyman who later became chaplain of the U.S. Senate, his name was Peter Marshall, says this, If you do not stand for something, you will fall for anything. No disappointment, but Malcolm X really didn't say that, okay? Peter Marshall did. If you don't stand for something, you will fall for anything. That fall for anything, okay, is a perfect description, is a precise description of the age of relativism that we live in today. Relativism exists when people refuse absolute truth 
and believe whatever they want to believe. And as a result, what happens is that we live in an age of society today where people are glorifying and celebrating that which is wrong. We live in an age of secularism, humanism, materialism, hedonism, moralism, narcissism. What do we do in this setting? How are you and I supposed to behave? How are we to act? How are we to live in this setting? Matter of the fact, and I won't bore you with statistics, I was reading this entire week, virtually every negative statistic of divorce and incarceration and drug use, suicide, everything continues to increase on a regular basis in our culture today. How do we live in that? What do we trust in? John Ortberg is a pastor and a author, and he writes and he tells a story I think we can learn from this morning, and I quote, Some years ago, my wife arranged for us to ride in a hot air balloon as a birthday gift. We went to the field where the balloons ascended, and we got into a little basket with one other couple. We introduced ourselves and swapped vocational information and Then our pilot began the ascent. The day had just dawned, clear, crisp, cloudless. We could see the entire Kanahoe Valley from craggy canyons to the Pacific Ocean. It was scenic, inspiring, and majestic. But I also experienced one emotion I had not anticipated. Fear. I had always thought those baskets went about chest high, but this one only came up to our knees. One good lurch would be enough to throw someone over the side. So I held on with grim determination and white knuckles. I looked over at my wife, who does not even care for heights, and I relaxed a bit knowing that there was someone in the basket that was more scared than I was. I could tell because she would not move at all. During part of our flight, there was a horse ranch on the ground directly behind her, and I pointed it out because she loves horses. And without turning around or even pivoting her head, she simply rolled her eyes back as far as she could and said, yes, that's beautiful. (laughs) About this time, I decided I'd like to get to know the kid who was flying this balloon. I realized that I could try to psych myself up into believing everything would be fine. But the truth is, we had placed our lives and our destinies in the hands of the pilot. Everything dependent on his character and on his competence. I asked him what he did for a living and how he got started flying hot air balloons. I was hoping his former job was to be full of responsibilities, perhaps a former neurosurgeon, an astronaut who missed going into space. I knew we were in trouble when his response to me began. Dude, it's like this. (laughs) He did not even have a job. He mostly surfed. He said the reason he started flying hot air balloons was that he had been driving around in his pickup when he had too much to drink. He crashed the truck, badly injuring his brother. His brother still couldn't get around too well, so watching hot air balloons gave him something to do. By the way, he added, if things get a little choppy on the way down, don't be surprised. I've never flown this particular balloon before. I'm not sure how it's going to handle the descent. My wife looked over at me, and she said, you mean to tell me 
were a thousand feet up in the air with an unemployed surfer who started flying hot air balloons because he got drunk, crashed a pickup truck, and injured his brother. He's never been in this one before, and he doesn't know how to bring it down. Then the wife of the other couple looked at me and spoke. The only words either of them were to utter throughout the entire flight. You're a pastor. Do something religious. (laughs) Ortberg said, so I took an offering. (laughs) There's a lot of times we're in situations in life where we have to put our trust and our faith in something or in someone. Dude, it's like this, okay? When we think about our responsibility and our calling to take a stand, let me tell you this, it's not going to be that kind of a response from a holy, all-powerful, all-knowing God. It's not going to be, dude, it's like this, okay? I want you to understand that more than anything else. What do we do? How do we stand? How do we remain unmoved and fixed? By going directly to the words of God. The only thing in this world that do not move or budge or change. We go to the word of God that that in that word, Jesus describes it perfectly like this. I love it. Matthew chapter 7. Everyone then who hears these words of mine and does them will be like a wise man who built his house on the rock and the rain fell and the floods came and the winds blew and beat on the house, but it did not fall because it had been founded on the rock. That's a description of what the foundation is like that we are to to stand upon. Today we embark on a study, a new study, a new series that I pray, my prayer through this has been that you have a renewed confidence in the authority of the Word of God. And, And even more importantly, you will have a renewed strength in Him, in Him whom the Word of God speaks about, and that is the Lord Jesus Christ. That's my goal, that's my prayer throughout the series of First Peter. We know that, that God wrote the Bible. All Scripture is given by inspiration of God. But there is a privilege that we have in God's design and that He wrote this via the personality of individuals, of real people like you and I. Today, this morning, I believe that we can very easily identify with the author of the book of First Peter. His name is Peter. I love to study this man. Listen to what he has to say. Here's our, here's our first introduction to the words of Peter. Peter. First Peter chapter 1, verse 1. Here it is. Peter, an apostle of Jesus Christ. To those who are elect, exiles of the dispersia, dispersion, in Pontius, Galatia, Cappadocia, Asia, and Bithynia, according to the foreknowledge of God the Father, in the sanctification of the Spirit, for obedience to Jesus Christ, and for sprinkling with His blood. May grace 
and peace be multiplied to you. I want you to note all that is included here. The tone, the positives, the blessings, the enthusiasm, the excitement. It is, it is all here. The author, okay, Peter, an apostle of Jesus Christ. The recipients to those who are elect or chosen according to the foreknowledge of God the Father. The purpose that he writes in the sanctification of the Spirit for obedience to Jesus Christ. You cannot help but get a glimpse of Peter's personality. He is excited about all of the blessings that God has in store for you as a follower of the Lord Jesus Christ. He reminds us of, of, of everything that we need as this foundation. He reminds us what? The doctrine of the Trinity. We see literally God the Father, God the Son, God the Holy Spirit in these two verses. He reminds us about the doctrine of election. Knowing that God chose you. He didn't just know about you. He chose you. That was part of his plan. Teaches us about the sufficiency of salvation. Our call to obedience. The blessing of God's grace. The blessing of of God's peace. All of this. All of this so that you and I can have something firm. A foundation to trust in and to stand on. Why? Because the days that we're living in are weird. Frankly, they're going to continue to get weirder. More unstable. The winds will continue to blow and the waves will continue to surge. Ever been in a setting? Been outside even this week with some of the wind chill and the cold. You don't hang around out there. Remember when I was a kid, my best friend Tony Belzer and I wanted to, 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 to sleep out for the night in a tent and build a fire and cook our own dinner and make our own fire and do like cool cowboy stuff? What a miserable joke that is. I brought a whole box of matches and everyone was blowing out because the wind was too strong. I used every one of the whole box of matches and he was like, yeah, but that's okay. I brought a little book of matches just in case because I know you. Same thing happened. The whole book of matches, we couldn't get a fire going. The wind kept blowing it out. I had a little can of baked beans. We were supposed to warm up and we couldn't get a fire going. So what did we do? We forgot a can opener. We used an axe. That doesn't work. It's <laughs> the whole thing. Just the whole, we're not designed. Okay. What happens is that our lives get rough. Your life can get challenging and hard. We want to go the right direction. We want to do the right thing. We want to say the right thing. We want to be the right Dad, the right mom, the right husband, and it's hard out there. How do we stand in the midst of this? We go to the authority of the Word of God. Here we go. Let's go into this. Before we get too far, let's tell you a little bit about this, this, this man, Peter. First of all, the author of the book. Peter, an apostle of Jesus Christ. There's a lot here, so we'll try to get through this. Peter, is to, his name actually translates Petros, which means the rock, okay? Not the wrestler type rock. Actually, Peter, interestingly enough, is a nickname. He was originally named Simon. His father's name was Jonas. We are not told the name of his mother. He has a brother whose name was Andrew. You've heard about him before. And they come from a family of Jewish fishermen. 
Peter was born in a small town, Bethsaida, and moved eventually, and where the, the fishing company took them was a little town in, in Capernaum, the northern coast of the Sea of Galilee. They were friends with James and John, they had a little fishing business together, and it was this plain fisherman, Peter, that God called, Jesus called early in his ministry to follow him, and for some reason... God chose to anoint this Peter in a unique way, and he becomes not just a follower, he becomes a leader, the leader of all the apostles. Throughout Scripture, we are told a lot about this man, Peter. More is written in the Gospels about Peter than any other character with the exception of Jesus Christ. Let me tell you this, we will put our authority in what Scripture has to say about Peter, not necessarily what history has to say, okay? Which, which sometimes you take the Roman Catholic Church and they would say that Peter becomes the first pope. No, Peter actually was not the first pope. He was normal. In Acts chapter 4, verse 13, he was an uneducated common man is the description that he has been given an ordinary fisherman that when God chose to call and bless, he used him to do extraordinary work for the gospel. In the words of Peter himself in 1 Peter chapter 5, he describes himself, himself as a witness of the sufferings of Christ. His, his, greatest, his greatest achievement in all of life was that he got to be alongside of Jesus. He walked alongside of Jesus. He worked and served and ministered alongside of Jesus. And he was learning and he was growing. Now at times, and we know bits and pieces, and we'll talk more about it in this biographical study, that at times Peter could say things that you kind of wish, oh, don't say that. Peter could be loud. I think at times he could could probably be kind of rough. To be perfectly honest, I think he had a really good sense of humor. I envisioned Peter as being one of the funnier guys of all the apostles. He was probably big and strong and strong arms, and he could be brash and impulsive at times. He could be outspoken at times. Peter is an individual that many of us can identify with because he's what I refer to as a man of extremes. He doesn't just have like a good day or a bad day. He has the most incredible, fantastic, wonderful day of his entire life, or he has the most miserable, horrible day of his entire life. He's a man of extremes. He doesn't just have a good dinner or a bad dinner. He has the greatest tasting, most delicious pan-fried Cajun-dusted tilapia, or he has what? That's the most disgusting fish I've ever eaten in my entire life. He's a man of extremes. And we see this in his personality. Frank S. Mead writes, Who's Who in the Bible, describes Peter like this. Peter was a surging tide, now high, tempestuous, crashing, and now low, receding, caught in the backwash of doubts. The most human, the most valuable, a diamond in the rough with great polishing possibilities. Isn't that, isn't that a description of you and I? It's easy in our flesh to look at Peter and 
perhaps to diss him, discredit him, he wasn't faithful enough, to just simply dislike him because he was a man of extremes. But I believe in all honesty, many of us can, can, can more easily and readily identify with a Peter than many, many other apostles. Peter was quick to share his thoughts, his emotions, his wishes, his likes and dislikes. You always knew where he stood. The New Testament is filled to overflowing with colorful accounts of this apostolic leader. He's often described as being charismatic in his personality or forceful or dynamic. And yet there's times that Peter is silent and doubtful, wavering and impetuous. Think about this is the man, Peter, who has the faith, as Danielle shared and read about earlier, to to literally get out of a boat in the middle of the sea, in the middle of a storm, and walk on water. This is the man. And yet, what, within a minute, he gets scared. He doubts and begins to sink. It's this man. Peter has the fortitude to take a step toward the enemy. Everyone else is running in the Garden of Gethsemane. He feels that he needs to defend the creator of the universe. And he takes out his sword, remember? And he he attacks and misses, cuts the guy's ear off and just gets rebuked and in trouble because of it. We know that Peter has the fervor to say what? I will never deny you, Lord. Boy, hasn't that been you or I? Lord, I will never leave you. I will never forsake you. And yet we see in just what, within hours, a little tiny teenage girl has this man literally shaking in his boots. Didn't I see you with him? Weren't you with him? And he's cursing. He's cursing vehemently, denying that he ever saw or knew the Lord. We know that this Peter that we're going to study about is far from perfect. But praise God, praise God, Peter, just like you and I, was forgiven. Was forgiven. The divine sculptor chiseled and chipped away all the harshness and the ugliness of this big, rough, tough fisherman. And over time and through even painful experiences, he literally shaped him and fashioned him, molded him to be a masterpiece. So much so that in Luke chapter 22, he's this wimpy little scaredy cat. By the time we get to Acts chapter 2, the Holy Spirit fills him. And he preaches with such boldness and such fervor. Literally, it's described thousands. You know what thousands of people look like? Thousands of people responded to the gospel of Jesus Christ and gave their heart to the Lord because God chose to use a man like Peter. From a man with a mouth that oftentimes was out of control, I read one description, he developed quite a taste for sandal leather. Oftentimes he spoke and put his foot in his mouth that God chose to use. God commissioned him, Peter in apostle. What is that? He is commissioned by the very creator. 
An apostle is a witness, first-hand witness, but one with authority, directly given by God. So much so that by the time he actually picks up this, this quill, this stylus, whatever he is writing with, it's late in Peter's life, two to four years before he is martyred for his faith. Before he was martyred, they claimed that he was imprisoned in the Mamertine prison in Rome, one of the worst. For nine months, they claimed that he was tortured and he literally was witnessing and sharing the gospel to those that were torturing him. And some of even those who tortured him gave their heart and life to follow the Lord Jesus Christ. We see that Peter understands God's grace. Peter understands God's mercy and his love and his hope that is offered to what? To hurting souls. As we commence this series, I realize that many of you, through whatever circumstances you have faced, have hurting hearts and hurting souls. Exhausted, frustrated, burdened, worn and tired, perhaps dealing with sicknesses that no one is aware of, perhaps battling temptations or sins that you can't even confess to those that are closest to you. Peter understands And Peter reminds us and teaches us and tells us about this one who is a shelter in the midst of that storm. One who gives us the ability to stand and to stand strong knowing all that we have in the Lord Jesus Christ. We see the author as Peter. Secondly, we see the recipients. To whom is this written? It says specifically to those who are elect exiles of the dispersion or strangers that have been scattered. Who is this letter written to? First and foremost, he uses the word elect. Peter reminds the readers of their privileged and secure position as objects of God's sovereign, gracious, eternal choice to be his own people in and through the work of the Lord Jesus Christ. An amazing privilege. The greatest position is to be one who has been chosen by God, elect. The term exiles carries with it the idea of people that, in a sense, are wandering. They're pilgrims or strangers. You could replace it with the word sojourners or aliens or tenters. It's it's hard to describe in detail the horrific uh, description of what Christians were suffering. This is the time that Nero was an emperor of Rome. They believe this is written at the exact time that Rome was actually uh, uh, lit on fire and Nero was blaming Christians. And so the intensity and persecution that is directed toward the Christians was unprecedented. Literally thousands were being martyred for their faith. It was at this time that Jewish Christians faced severe persecution and many of them simply grabbed what they could with their own hands or put it in a bag and slung it over their back and literally dispersed all over, wandering through much of northern Asia Minor. These are the regions that we described. Modern-day Turkey. They lived without a home. 
They live being chased and hounded and hunted. They live as the Old Testament patriarch Abraham lived, in a tent looking for a future home. They live the same way that Paul describes in 2 Corinthians chapter 5. If our tent, our earthly home is destroyed, we have a building from God, a house not made from hands that is eternal in the heavens. They understood that. Life can get hard, the winds can, can, can blow, and the waves can beat against us. We can become, as Christians, worn and discouraged and scared. And this letter is written to you specifically. We may, we may not be living in a time where we are facing unprecedented persecution, but we are living in a time where Christians are being ostracized as being freaks, and fanatics. <clears throat> Erdmans writes this about the description of the time that Peter writes this book. Christians were being slandered as irreligious because of not worshiping the heathen gods. Christians were often being described as morons, as ascetics because of refraining from popular vices, and as disloyal to the government because of claiming an allegiance to the heavenly king. Does that not sound even familiar of the day that we live in? Christians, you believe in, in a literal six-day creation? You're just a moron. Where are you? You, you believe that, that homosexuality is actually a sin? Well, just get with the times because that's totally wrong. You, you believe what? That, that abortion is, is, is a sin, is wrong? Come on. And Christians are being set aside and set apart. Is Peter writing to discourage Christians in the first century or the 21st century? Let me tell you this. He's writing to both. This morning, we may not be wandering homeless, but we can be living in a time of unprecedented hurt in your own life. Many of you struggle with a sense of conviction because of what you've done in the past. God can't forgive you or heal you. Today, I'm telling you upon the authority of God's word, and Peter is an example of that, any sin can be forgiven. Whatever you have done. Perhaps you live in a time where you're overwhelmed by burdens or a troubled marriage or rebellious children and it's exhausting. God offers you something to trust in. God offers you a place to go and a foundation to stand on, to be bold and to trust. Perhaps you're just running the mill where in a sense you've come to church forever and ever and it's getting old and devotions are kind of a bore and there's just a spiritual dryness. This is a tough, cold, dark time of the year, depressing. Even in that, there's times that we need encouragement. This word is written to you. You see, the authors, Peter, the recipients are the elect and finally the purpose according to the foreknowledge of God and sanctification set apart. I love this of the Spirit for obedience. It says, for the sprinkling of the blood of the Lord Jesus Christ. Two reminders, very quickly in closing, that Peter wants to bring to our attention, and he, and, and he wants it to encourage you. Number one is this, God planned this, okay? You know, your, your little to-do list and your calendar and your objectives and your goals and your life plan, and then you realize, what, this isn't really what I planned, let me, let me assure you, God planned this. Even the hardships, even the heartaches that you're facing, God 
planned this. Not only did God plan this, but secondly, God provided everything that you need in order to be obedient in the midst of this. So where do we, where do we go? We go and we trust the authority of God's word. It's not a, well, it's like this, dude. No, no, it's not like that. From a sovereign, all-knowing, all-powerful God, he saw you regardless of how difficult it was going to become. And he has given to you everything that you need to stand in the midst of it. Crucial information that is meant to strengthen those who are struggling. Peter literally begins and he says, look at all that you have through the Lord Jesus Christ. The Lord has done the work He has chosen you. He desires that none perish. God has set you apart and he's equipped you not only with his own word, but his own spirit to be obedient every single day. So regardless of how difficult it gets, we have the security of knowing that Christ's work on the cross is sufficient for you. Christ's work on the cross is sufficient for you to give you a boldness that you've never had. I was delighted. I was so, I heard it on a radio this morning. It's, uh, excuse me, on Thursday morning as I was driving to the office. Thursday was the, the, the national prayer breakfast that they have once a year in Washington, D.C. And they bring supposedly the spiritual leaders from all over the place. And the Dalai Lama was there and they had Muslim clerics and they had Jewish rabbis. It's supposedly the most politically correct place that you can ever, don't ever offend anyone, don't ever say anything. And they invited a man to give the invocation. His name was Dr. Kent Brantley. Many of you have heard of him. He's the missionary with Samaritan's Purse who was serving the Lord in Liberia, Africa, and contracted Ebola. and was brought home and through the blessings of medical science, but also the blessings of God's healing hand. He was healed completely. In the midst of that setting, he was asked to pray. And as he prayed, he quoted word for word from Philippians chapter 2. He quoted what? At the name of Jesus Christ, every knee will bow and every tongue will confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. He ticked off some people, I can assure you that, but he was bold to tell the truth and he stood up because regardless of how difficult it is, he was going to do what God called him to do. I would encourage you to do the same. I would encourage you to be the same, Peter, By God's grace, this vacillating, unstable, uncertain man is blessed by God and used just like you and I can be used to do an amazing work for the gospel of Jesus Christ. May we be like that. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for this man that we can connect with, identify with, and learn from. But most of all, we thank you for who you are, for your spirit and your word for the blessing of calling us, of choosing us, of saving us, rescuing and redeeming and forgiving us. We love you. 
Help us, Lord, to, to stand and to be bold in the day that you've called us to live. In your name we pray. Amen. Would you stand with us, please, as we close?